Welcome to Nowhere Close to Famous, where we have extraordinary conversations with ordinary people. I'm your host, Josh Story, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Brooke Seal. Hey, people. <laughs> I almost forgot your name there for a second. <laughs> That's okay. And uh, first things first, we have some pretty exciting news, or at least it was exciting to us. It was exciting. Maybe to me specifically. <laughs> <laughs> We've we, gone international. We've gone international, like the pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> we crack ourselves uh, yeah. up. And by we, I mean me <laughs> and myself. Guys, we discovered we have very consistent listeners. They have not missed a single episode in the Netherlands. And if that's you, please reach out to us on Instagram because I personally would love to meet you. Yeah. We love our listeners. We're so thankful for all of y'all's support. And shout out especially to our Netherlands listeners. I don't know how you found us, but I'm so thankful you did. Yeah. I love the internet. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think they're especially going to enjoy our chat with Clayton. Great segue. Thank you. Because today we are talking to uh, one of my best friends and former roommates in college, Clayton Jones. Um, but Clayton's also also an actor. And we talk about his kind of decade-long grind in the industry and um, the highs and the lows and um, really everything in between identity. I feel like that's a very common theme on it this is. show. But I thought it was a really cool thing. And he dished a little bit on people that are actually famous as well. So that was He did. And that was maybe cool. they'll maybe they'll come on the show now. Who knows? I'm a dreamer. Yeah. Let's see. Emma Stone, you know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, we had a blast. We hope that you have fun listening. So without further ado, here's our interview with Clayton Jones. Clayton Jones. He's here. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, yo. Um, dude, we are so excited, man. You were honestly, we had told you this off, off air, but we just want to make it official that we were like, when we were thinking of people to have, I thought I need to have my boy Clayton on the podcast and here we are. To be fair, I think I am close to famous. Like, I don't know that I really belong in the podcast, but (laughs) I feel like I was close at least at one point. Like you were closer than most for sure. (laughs) For sure. For sure. Um, dude, so many things that I want us to talk about. Um, but first things first, we were roommates in college. That's how we know each other. And By luck. When I was, yeah. <laughs> when I was thinking about this interview, I was try- trying to think about all these things. And I realized that it's honestly pretty shocking how close we are, given the fact that we were accidental roommates. And I wanted to ask you, do you remember your first impression of me? Because I remember my first impression of you. Uh, I do. Rem- I don't know that I remember the specific meeting. Were you at the rec center? Did we swim? That was no, David. That, yeah, I okay. was brought brought in super late. I think it was like a coffee shop or something. I I remember walking away from the meeting and turning to Frank and going, "Does he stutter?" <laughs> 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 like. I really don't know. Like what? 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 Was that? Did I? I don't know. It's subtle, man. I think well, that it's subtle until it's not. That's the thing. Sure. I think, though, it's so brave and humble to ask the first impression <laughs> question because that's such a roll of the dice. I'm I'm scared to ask some people's first impression of, of me. So I, I admire you for being willing to kick us off that yeah. way. Well, and wasn't there a thing where you and Frank thought that David and I were super into South Park? Yeah. And for I. <laughs> Frank was like concerned about it. He's like, man, I, I just don't know. Like these guys are into South Park, which 
of all our concerns, that probably should have been the least if we would have, uh, <laughs> you know, known what we know now. The thing I, the person I do remember having a first impression of, though, is your dad. Because really? the first time I met your dad, he was cleaning the house with David's mom. And they never specified that they weren't married. And so for the <laughs> longest time, I had your dad married to David's mom in my head. And then I was like, I think they came to visit for like a game. And I was like, yeah, wait, I, did I just catch like David's dad cheating in the kitchen? Like, that's, and they're like, no, that's my mom. Like, and I was like, oh, I had this like totally wrong in my head. Uh, that's hilarious. Dude, that's so funny. They're being very open and flippant about their relationships. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> like, just man blatantly like showing affection so man these fort worth people are different um i knew they like grew up together and were close but i didn't know it was like that kind of close you know that's i thought so a and m was the only cult i was a part of yeah honestly. <laughs> so, um, so oh man this is this might be a long one but speaking of cults at a and m we also our other roommate frank was from el dorado which is where a big polygamy colony is located so we used to tell people that like frank had multiple moms <laughs> dude, okay no <laughs> dude awful. i i remember uh lindsey turner wherever <laughs> she is uh we we had a full-on conversation and i feel like you and i are both of the breed where we will joke about some something and see how far it can go but then we kind of forget that we even did it and so i remember you and i like walking her through all the logistics of Frank having seven moms. And she was like, well, but I've, I've only met one of them. And we're like, well, yeah, because he only brings, I mean, that's like his biological mom. He doesn't want everyone else to know. And you got to keep and, them I mean, under wraps, you know? Dude, and we talked about that for, I don't know, maybe an hour. And then I remember maybe a month after that, she said something in passing about Frank's seven moms. I was like, Oh, no, no, no. We were totally just kidding about you. that. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Was a legit oh, just thing. hook, line, yeah, and yeah. sinker. Yeah. Oh, my God. Full, full yeah. bite. That's awful. Yeah. Dude, so one of my first impressions of you uh, was hearing that you had, one, a third nipple, and two, <laughs> that you had gotten the third nipple pierced. Can you this tell people? This is true. Yeah. So, so I didn't know growing up that I had a third nipple. First of all, I like discovered it in like fifth grade and I was like, mom, uh, I think something's <laughs> wrong with me. Like what, what is this thing? And she sits me down and, and is like, Clayton, I, I have to tell you something. Oh, no. You were born with three nipples. And I was like, <laughs> awesome and my mom was like no it is not awesome do not tell the kids at school they will make fun of you like this is not something that you let people advice. know that was good advice probably well i heated it for a little while and then i let the whole and world know and so i was always like joking about it and anything for a joke like i don't care if you're laughing with me or at me I, like it, it doesn't matter as long as we're laughing you know so i used it as a joke for a long time and um and i used to say like i'm gonna get it i'm gonna get it pierced like yeah i'm gonna get it pierced one day and finally in college someone called me on it and they're like no you won't and i was like yeah i will and they're like let's go right now and i was like oh uh, I've never had someone like, you know, push this. So I went to poking you tattoo. I, you know, I'm like oh the most, like, gosh. I look like I belong in a golf course, not in a tattoo <laughs> parlor. And I walk in 
and I was like, um, hello, uh, do you pierce third nipples? And they were <laughs> like, uh, we never have before, but if you can pinch it, we can poke it. And I was like, oh, wow, that's terrifying. And, <laughs> that's not um, their slogan, is it? That's like, awful. Yeah, so, yeah, we could, we could totally do that. And he was like, do you want all three pierced? And I was like, no, that's weird. <laughs> and he looked at me like, dude, you're the one getting your third nipple pierced. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like don't, why are you being judgmental here? Like, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, I had it, I had it pierced for a long time. Yeah, I remember that. So it wasn't just a, a gag, like you kept it. And it I was kept a thing. it, yeah, I kept it for a long time. Ugh. And so one of the things that I think, looking back on, that I really, I don't know if I, I don't know if I knew that I needed this in college, but I did. And it was to have a fellow creative in the house. And our house was split pretty evenly between finance people and you and I, right, who were just... You were doing architecture, I was doing communication, but I was I was in a band and you were doing musicals and I remember there was a day when I came home and we had this one little tiny room that was basically a closet that we made a couple of guys live in for a little bit. And then <laughs> we almost they, like, rebelled and yeah. were like, I'm not doing it anymore. I will not be in the closet anymore. <laughs> Coming out. And uh <laughs> and so I came home and Clayton had made this room like this music studio. And it was so fun and so awesome. And, uh, and we, that's uh, how you realized he was into it. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, I, I had known for like a little bit, okay. but that was when I was like, okay, this is our this is real. This, this is our space to be creative and stuff like that. And we tried to write uh, a musical. We, d- we did. Ring by Spring. Yeah, dude. It was uh, a. How far did y'all get in the process? I feel like that's a pretty big undertaking. So, so Clayton I don't think was. There were any songs or any uh, dialogue written? I wrote. <laughs> so, I wrote one so what, song. What did you do? No, no, yeah, yeah. I wrote the like. You Those know, are the key parts of. A I wrote musical. the intro number because okay. you know Clayton was in musicals and I wrote songs. And I'm like, oh, this is a oh, match made in heaven. That's perfect. We should be able to write a musical, and it was that this kind out. of satirical approach on the dating culture at Texas A&M and we thought let's Which write has its own personality exactly yeah. so oh, like let's write there. this thing bring by spring and I remember I like wrote this kind of opening tune and I asked Clayton at the end of it I said hey how, how many songs are in a musical he's like I don't know like 30 and I was like yeah no nah, probably not we're like, not doing this yeah <laughs> no, I mean, sure yeah I mean one of the things I love about Josh and something I think I didn't know I needed even after we were friends was just somebody that like you share an idea with and they're like, yes, and this is how we're going to do it. And this is like (laughs) how it's going to go down and we can pitch it here or we could do like a spinoff, like writing sequels (laughs) before the first one is finished. And actually like I, when I got married, I would like tell ideas to my wife and she would be like, um, that that's a horrible idea that will put our entire lives at risk of financial ruin and um, and you're not good at this thing that you're wanting <laughs> to do and and I was just like crushed because Josh would never say that <laughs> no. to me like if I was like hey we're we're starting like a a baby girl swimsuit line he'd be like yes we are like we could <laughs> we do, can do it this. we'll learn how to sew it'll be awesome you know like yeah. just something we have no <laughs> skill set at at all 
And so I've actually told my wife, like, to be more like Josh in some ways. I'm like, <laughs> if I tell you an idea and it's horrible, just nod your head and never bring it up again. And, like, I'll move on to something else. But, like, please don't crush my soul by telling me it's not a good idea. Dude, so Haley and I have the exact same thing going on. And we use the phrase, two weeks of wow. And so I always say, I said, hey, I have more ideas in a day than I can possibly count. So the likelihood of me remembering tomorrow the idea that I had today is very, very small. So if I just say, oh my gosh, wouldn't this be cool? Instead of being like, well, that doesn't make sense. Or how is this? I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Just, just give me two weeks of wow. Say, wow, <laughs> that's so fun. That's so cool. And if I bring it up again after two weeks, then we actually have a problem. Then this is actually in motion. And so it's, uh, it's saved a lot of yeah. things. You need people like this in your life. Yeah. Like, yeah. especially creatives. You've got to have no. like those people that you can go to. And they're like, yeah, I'm down. Well, I so admire creative people for a couple of reasons. Because I, I don't see myself as a creative. I'm a yes person, I think. Because I'll get behind someone I love. And literally, if I'm hanging out with people or just close friends or whatever it is, if someone's into something, I'm the type of person where I can get into whatever the person I'm hanging out with is into. So it's like, if you're passionate about rock climbing, I'm like, let's go scale a wall. Never done it, but I will do it if you want to hang out and do I this. I love that. I'm but totally I'm just, on board. Yeah, but I'm not the idea person. And so I, I need people in my life like Josh and like other creative people to give me something to do. <laughs> I'm not going to come up with the idea, but I'll get the energy behind it. But you will it. do it. Yeah, I, I used to say, like, there are two types of people. The people that, like, initially say yes and that initially say no because X, Y, Z. And I <laughs> have a really hard time with the no people. <laughs> I think I'm a yes person more than I used to be. I think, yeah. ironically, I think most people do this opposite, so... I'm breaking the mold, but the older I get, the more I say yes. There you go. So, man, the no by the people time I'm, yeah. keep us alive and making responsible no, decisions for sure. But yeah, yeah, yes, people are my people for sure. Yeah. When did you begin to realize that you were creative? I think I've always been creative. I did really well, like in art growing up as a kid I always had something in the art fair um I was always singing my mom sent me a video a while back of me singing uh that I was going to be a movie star and go to Hollywood when I was <laughs> like three or four years old um and uh yeah I just always was really bent in that direction and I played sports and did sports, but that was never like my thing, which was which was hard growing up because, you know, growing up in Texas, it's like not only is sports the thing, but like football, baseball, yeah. basketball. Totally. Um, and so it was a big process of kind of coming into my own. I had some good mentors of realizing that like that's not my thing and that's okay and I did cross country and pole vault and loved those sports but I was always involved in like choir and youth group I was uh always singing uh at when I was like four years old at church I also we had like choose your own hymn night and uh, 
I'm not shy at all. So at four <laughs> years old, I like volunteered to sing my favorite hymn, and it was Friends in Low Places by uh, <laughs> Garth Brooks. Which so, in Texas, that is a hymn. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's even in a Southern Baptist church, like they were oh, like, 100%. Yes, where the whiskey oh. drowns and the beer <laughs> Amen, brother. Don't but drink it, in, but you can but sing But only that. in secret. Yeah, only in secret. <laughs> when you're singing, it's just, you know, the spirit of it, <laughs> yeah, which is yeah. ironic. Dude, uh, <laughs> tell Brooke the story of when you sang the national anthem at the uh, Oh, man. Game. So I had... I was I sing the national anthem a lot at at basketball games and I guess at this point I had also just gotten like very confident overconfidence might be a, a theme of this uh episode but um yeah so I would sing the national anthem well this particular week I had sang amazing grace at church and for the talent show um, oh. and so Same I song in got two up, venues. That's bold. Hey, you got to milk it. You know, when you, when you got something <laughs> hey, good, you milk it you for know sure. It works, for sure. So I had, I had sang amazing grace. And, um, so I, I get up at the basketball game. I'm, I'm in sixth <laughs> oh, or seventh no. grade. You know, my voice is changing. I'm going through puberty. Like it, yeah, it's, a, it's a time, you know? Yeah. And so I get up and I start singing, <laughs> Oh, say, can you see? And I freeze. And I was like, oh, oh my goodness. I started in the middle of the song. And everyone's looking at, like, around at me. Not looking around. Looking at me. Right. And I just go, amazing <laughs> grace. And everyone does exactly what you're doing. They, like, <laughs> bust out laughing. So I stop and I was like, I look around. Everyone's laughing. And my my dad was right next to me because he ran the clock for the basketball games. And he was like, Clayton, Clayton, that's wrong song. Wrong and so song. I said, oh, okay, dad. Amazing. <laughs> so, now the, so now the laughter is more. And I look around and he's oh, like, no, Clayton, no. Clayton, that's not it. That's not it. And I was like, okay, dad, I got it. I got it. Yeah. Third time. Amazing <laughs> grace. And finally this football coach was like, oh, say, can you see? <laughs> <laughs> and so I sing it like as fast as I could. I was like, oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light? It's proudly beheld at the dawn's And literally ran to the bathroom and like oh, cried. No. I still can oh, see no. the woman across the gym. It was like the early 90s. She had mm -hmm. on a black shirt with like neon horses running across it Classic. and I still can like see her face just like pointing and laughing and like mouth <laughs> open and, and oh, like bending no. over it was mm. traumatic I hope she hears this and I hope she feels awful <laughs> 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 me too she's me like oh too. I know Clayton Jones and then she hears this conversation she's and like, she writes I you an apology him. I was there <laughs> I had that, and I, she's wearing that. She's wearing that shirt right now. <laughs> it's a great shirt. To be honest, yeah. I would wear it today. But that sounds like somebody who considers friends in those low places a him. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> Josh. Yes. I have to tell you about my most recent golden ratio moment. Ooh. Because it was it was amazing. So you know me. I was having a pal over. Always. And middle of the day, and I'd already had a couple cups of coffee, <laughs> and so I had crashed, and I was like, man, I need a caffeine boost, and it was cold and overcast outside, so I brewed up, me and my pal, some Golden Ratio. For her, I did the OG flavor, Okay. and for me, I went with 
pumpkin spice. I love which that. Which you might think, Brooke, so basic. <laughs> but it was delicious. And I love Golden Ratio, and I want our listeners to be able to know more about it too because it genuinely does give you all the benefits of a good caffeine kick without the acidity of coffee. So it's a really good trade-in. Um, and for our listeners, they can get a special deal. So if that's you and you're interested, go to drinkgoldenratio.com and use our promo code NOWHEREClose for 20% off your purchase. Um, and hey, you know, make Golden Ratio and Nowhere Close part of your morning commute or your afternoon pick-me-up. So, so when did you tr- oh, when did no. you transition from singing Amazing Grace at basketball games to actually being in musicals? So I started getting into musicals uh, in high school. I was in choir and had always sang, and that was kind of my entry into acting. So uh, I got recruited because in high school there are not a lot of guys who are good singers who are willing to do musicals so like I got recruited for choir I got recruited for the musical they're like please please just audition like it'll be fun and so as a freshman I got uh one of the leading roles which was like I got like a a big part and uh it was uh the the musical was Calamity Jane I started doing musicals uh that way and then in college I kind of got tired of being around people that were exactly like me. Like every Mm. single person at Texas A&M was like similar background, similar socioeconomic, similar way of thinking. Mm. And so I was like, this is no way to live, to just be around people that are like carbon copies of yourself. So um, uh, in college, I got connected with a small theater company in uh, Bryan and I auditioned and got the lead role for the, for the play that I was in. Uh, And so just started doing shows there. And a big turning point for me was I saw my first professional theater show when I was in college. Uh, I got tickets. My mom got tickets to the Lion King tour that was going through town. And that was the first professional theater production that I had ever seen. And I remember turning and looking at my mom and being like, I can do that. Like Mm. what they're doing on stage, I can do that. And I even remember in the program, the guy that was playing Mufasa had like a, he had been in real estate or something like that. And in his retirement had done, uh, had gotten into acting and performing. And that was a huge eye opener for me because I thought like you kind of had to, I just didn't know what that world was. I had no entry point into that world. I'd never been to New York. I'd never been to LA. Uh, I had no idea like, what it took to um to do that so to go back a second (laughs) yeah we had no idea that clayton was talented especially from like a musical standpoint for what probably like a semester or so we're just hanging out at the house being bros doing whatever college Mm -hmm. guys do right and then one night he's walking out the door we all say oh hey where are you heading he says oh i'm actually uh gonna go try out for a musical 
and all of us stop and go, what? It's and like, you just said it so humbly and yeah, casually yeah. of like, oh, this is just a thing I'm doing. Yeah, totally. And we're like, whoa, like you're going to go try out for like a real musical? And he's like, yeah, you know, I did it in high school and I thought, you know, I might give it a shot. And we're like, all right, cool. And then he goes and we never hear anything about it again. And then randomly <laughs> one night over dinner, someone says, hey, dude, whatever happened to that musical thing? And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah I, I got it. We're like, oh, cool. Like, Which part? He goes, the lead <laughs> and we we're like what like in what scenario because we had no category you know for yeah. this in our minds and i vividly remember <coughs> watching you in that musical and there was a certain point uh was this the one where you played the guy that like lost everything yeah funny girl i uh, yeah, yeah i was totally miscast like 30 years too young for uh, the Nikki <laughs> Arnstein commercial, commercial, the Nikki Arnstein role. So, so there's this scene where this dude like, like is like really wealthy and then loses everything. And the only reason I remember that is because I remember sitting on like the front row and watching Clayton. And for a second, I forgot that I was watching my roommate and That's I thought, cool. and I legitimately felt in my soul so bad for this guy that was yeah, on stage because he everything. freaking lost everything. And then that's I had to like just snap out of it. And I was like, Oh my gosh, no, that's my roommate. Who's just acting, but it was so powerful. And I remember thinking, Oh wow. Like this dude actually has what it takes to be an actor. Yeah. Wild. That's when you like catch the bug. I, I remember uh, yeah. my favorite show that I've ever done was at that same theater. It was uh, a show called Big River and I played oh, Huck Finn. Oh yeah, dude. And oh, wow. uh, I remember like there was a point in the show where people would just die laughing and I had no, I was like, like, do I have toilet paper? Is there something <laughs> going on behind me? Like, what are they laughing at? And, um, every like finally i asked someone and they were like they're laughing at your toes like when you sit next to jim your your toes are like wiggling off the thing and it's just hilarious and i think once you like when you're on stage and you're in the zone and things like click in and then you get a reaction from the audience and you can like feel that either silence or you, I mean, getting a laugh for me is always like the most fun thing. But when you can like totally. feel that reaction, that's when you are in trouble of catching the bug for sure. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that we were going this route because I wanted to ask you how, how did you get into it? What, what was the draw for you, especially as a high school kid who, and we've alluded to this, but you know, stereotypically, especially where we are in Texas in the South, guys play sports they do football baseball basketball and that's kind of your niche and if you do that you're a cool guy and everything goes smooth and goes the way you want it to but if you're into anything outside of that especially it's drama. harder totally yeah and so it's like how did you have the confidence to do it or or were you just doing something you loved and it came at a cost and you were fine with it it definitely came at a cost i mean i definitely got made fun of and picked on um Luckily, I think, and I, and that was like harder in, in junior high to deal with for sure. But I think going through that made me kind of own who I was. And, um, 
I guess, I mean, I guess I had done it so much. Just like I, I grew up singing in church. I was always in choir. I always got the solo. So I was always um, being put up like in front by myself. I was singing special music at church. I was auditioning for the talent show. So I, there is a sense of like, there was never a point where I was like, oh, I, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm, yeah. uh, and I was always encouraged in it. Like uh, people were always asking me to sing and asking That's me cool. to, to perform. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I'm really thankful. I think my parents raised me in a way that was encouraging of kind of beating to my own drum and, mm. um, they encouraged me to play sports and do things that, you know, were, were normal kind of boy things. Sure. Uh, but they also allowed me to do things that weren't kind of normal. And I think maybe some of that too is I grew up in a small town where mm -hmm. you kind of knew everyone. And I think in a smaller town, there's a little less of that, stigma or or stereotypes like we always had football players in our high school choir mm. and yeah. um specifically actually my my best friend in high school her older brother was in choir and so I think there was a little bit of like paving the way I wasn't like a trailblazer in that way um it also was like, hey, all the girls are in choir. So if you want to be with all the senior <laughs> girls, like you You're should do guy. choir, yeah. you know, which was a big perk for me. So um, yeah. like I got to my dad says the only thing I was a four year letter been in was prom. So <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Well, it sounds too like and even just getting to chat with you and because you and I hadn't met before this interview. And so even getting to chat with you and hear how Josh talks about you and even share stories it sounds like even in the midst of it, you're so humble and so approachable and down to earth and all those things. Um, so congrats on being a decent human. Well, thank you. You're welcome. But also, <laughs> do you feel like that humility comes from being so grounded and having confidence from a young age? Because I think you can be confident without being obnoxious. And I think in the creative world, there's a stereotype of if you like the spotlight and you're, you like to be really expressive – in my brain, at least, as someone who's not a creative and who sees people even, I mean, we jokingly, we name this podcast Nowhere Close to Famous right. very intentionally because of that idea of celebrity. And that's something our culture so seeks and so affirms. So um, basically, I just admire you for how you're navigating it. But has that been a hard balance, especially, and not to get too far ahead, but even how you alluded to at A&M just feeling so kind of stuck of, man, everyone's basically the same same background, same train of thought, same perspective, and having that desire to branch out and go other places. How do you balance all of that with confidence and humility and wanting to win over a crowd? That's a lot to process. Definitely. And I, I don't think that I always do that well or perfectly for sure. Um, but... I think when you're doing acting, especially correct, it's it's a service industry. Like I, one of my favorite mm. acting teachers was like, um, it's great for you to have a service job 
because you should remember on stage that you're doing the same thing. So like if you're a waiter, the stereotypical like New York actor waiter, she um, was like, just remember you're you're a wave you're a server on stage as well like this is not for you and the more you can give that to other people the more powerful your performance is going to be like the actors we love are the most vulnerable actors that we feel like we're getting to see a piece of them that that most people don't get to see or that most people don't show of themselves so yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a balance. I think for me, the thing that really helped me was I just love people. And mm-hmm. so I never really struggled with having friends, um, even when I was like being made fun of about, you, you know, in the locker room or whatever. I had such solid friendships Uh, I still have friends that I talk to from high school. I have friends that I talk to from college, from when I lived in New York, from when I lived in LA, like that those friendships, I think allow me to have a lot of that confidence because I'm able to take that, uh, you know, people, the, the people that don't appreciate that are, are feel good by tearing other people down. Um, I'm able to like, put that aside because I, I do have, um, great friendships and, and that can also be something I've worked for. I definitely am like, my personality needs to be liked by everyone and I've (laughs) had to work on that itself, you know, but, um, yeah. And I think, I think that was also helpful as I started to pursue acting in a more professional sense, because, you know, you're getting rejected. Like I listened to y'all's y'all's last podcast and she was talking about like when people don't like your painting. And I was mm. like, yeah, try when people don't like you. <laughs> like when you're yeah. the painting, when it's you're the performance yeah. and your personality, like mm. the minute you walk mm. into the room and they're like, nah, not for us, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you really have to like deal with that as as an actor. Yeah. yeah. Dude, so tell us more about that because you went from Texas A&M, well, first off, from small town Texas to Texas A&M. Then you went to New York where you're all, all of a sudden you're with the elite, all the best Broadway actors and singers and dancers. I mean, you're, you're there competing with everybody. What was that like in the, specifically the audition process going from Texas to there? Walk us through that. I mean, the audition process is crazy in New York. There were times when I would get to an audition at four in the morning, five in the morning to like sign up to get on a list to be able to audition. Um, I, there was an open call for the Broadway show Godspell when I was there and uh, a thousand people auditioned and you had, uh, so, so the way music, like music is in bars. And so they'll say like, give us your 16 bars or your 32 bars generally. And that's like, you know, 20, 30 seconds of music, uh, for this, for this audition, they were like, we want, I think it was four bars, (laughs) you know, it's like, show us how great you are in four bars, acapella, yeah, and it's it's the major leagues. Like it's you're you're at an NFL 
professional baseball kind of caliber and level. So um, it's it's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> no, that's so intense. I feel like stereotypically people that pursue it kind of get a bad rap of, oh, you're just you just, you know, have a dream, but it's not practical. So why try? But a lot of hard work and a lot of, I'm sure, soul searching and sacrifice goes into it. Because, I mean, you hear about people that get famous, like John Krasinski was waiting tables when he did his table read for The Office. And then he kept waiting tables through season one of The Office because you just don't know. So you hear stories like that. But to actually get to sit and talk with someone that has firsthand experienced it is, that's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah and I mean, enough. it's one of the things that I think is great about what y'all are doing and what you're kind of highlighting with the podcast. It's like for every John Krasinski, there are literally thousands that that are just as talented, that are just mm. as charismatic and amazing people that don't yeah. catch that break. You know, I mean, like imagine if mm. the role of Jim was not created like what if the office had been made 10 years before like steve carell would not be in it and probably no one in that office would be you know um and so there's so much timing and luck uh that that goes into um getting a break especially a big break that I totally have a new respect for people who have gone and tried and given it like a, a real shot and then um, decided to, to do other things. Or uh, for me, what that looks like is figuring out how to like incorporate this thing that I love to do in my life in a manageable uh, way that that allows me to do the thing I love, um, but in a in a way that is not like in LA or New York for me. Yeah, totally. Cause so so you went from New York to LA, and you kind of made a switch from theater to film. What prompted that that shift in acting? I got married, and. Uh, my wife hates the cold, so that was a big <laughs> uh, reason. And um, like, she would come home in in New York. It's cold from like September to May. So y- y- she would, when it was cold, she would like come home and cry and take two showers because she was just like freezing cold and miserable. And I was like, this is not how my marriage is going to go. Like (laughs) this, this is not what we're, what we're doing. So, um, that was one element. And then the other is making a living in theater is very, very difficult. Uh, I had a lot of close calls. I, I still kind of feel like had I stayed in New York, like, who knows what would have happened, but like, Mm. it's really hard when you are in, so you, you audition, you get a callback. Sometimes you get a second or third callback. And then a lot of times I'll let you know, like, this is a final callback. And, um, it, you know, it's really tough to, that it's great. If you get a callback, you're doing the right thing. That means like they're considering you, you're in the running, you're talented, but, you know, 20, 30 people will get callbacks for one role sometimes. And so that means there are 20 or 30 people that, like, 
potentially could do this and now we're just figuring out who the best one is so when you're in final like i had a lot of heartbreaks i was in final mm. callbacks for shakespeare in the park with amy adams uh for into the woods uh, final callbacks for uh sonia vanya masha spike at paper mill for godspell on broadway that was heartbreaking so a mm. funny story so they had an open call for godspell uh, a thousand people auditioned i think they called back like 30 of us so i got um so that was like the odds maybe less it's online if you google it i remember like going back and looking at it and i in the godspell was at circle in the square theater and i was going to acting school at circle in the square theater and doing the work study program so my job in the work study program uh, they would shoot off glitter cannons at the end of the show. And my job <laughs> was to go around the theater after every show and no. vacuum up all of the glitter that was on the you, floor. You earned it, man. You <laughs> earned your keep. That's right. So <laughs> then I was in final callbacks and I'm, you know, in my head, I'm like, I killed it. I like did so great. I'm going to, this is going to be my Broadway debut. I'm gonna I get be to be the God's reason spell. why glitter cannons are shot. Yeah. yeah. Totally. I'm shooting the glitter cannon. (laughs) And I didn't book it. And then for Uh, a year and a half, I had to vacuum up the glitter every single day (laughs) and like spilled Skittles that kids would leave on the floor. Um, So it's it's heartbreaking, you know, when you're when you're that close. It's like it's like losing the Super Bowl, you know. Um, Was it hard to watch some of your friends? kind of climb or is that really exciting because i know you know anthony ramos right who's in hamilton and now he's all over the place he was a buddy of yours and i know that you that there's been multiple other of your friends that have stuck it out and were up there for a while and made it when you see that is that really fun or is there a part of you that's like ah that could have been me if i would have stayed in new york another year or two totally like your initial reaction is like, Oh, I wish I would have gotten that. Oh, I wish, I wish it's competitive. You know, you're, you're competing. And so, uh, I remember actually talking with my buddy, uh, a friend of mine who is a Broadway guy. He was a, he was the lead in newsies for a while. He's in a TV show, uh, with the, one of the girls from sex in the city. I forget her name, but, um, great guy. We went to church together and um, I remember having that conversation with him and he was like, you, you just cannot do it. You have to be happy when your friends book something like you just have mm-hmm. to tell yourself, like, I am happy that you booked it. And I am. Tr- I think like after practicing that you get to a place where you are truly happy um, and especially, you know, like th- you're not going up for the same roles. P- different people are right for different parts. And so it's not competitive. You have to remind yourself of that, but it feels competitive. And it is amazing to see guys like Anthony. I mean, Anthony is so talented. When I met him, he was doing Radio City Music Hall. Uh, he was a singer in the Rockettes show. And right. yeah, and we uh, did like a jam session in his apartment. And I just remember like my jaw dropping and being like, how are you not in In the Heights? In the Heights was on Broadway at the, at the time. I'm like, how are you not in In the Heights? Um, and he actually auditioned for 
the tour of In the Heights and didn't get it. Um, no way. Yes. I, I recently read that in an article that he had with Bradley Cooper. Um, and Anthony is like from the Bronx, uh, single mom. Like he, we used to bump into people he went to high school with on the subway. I remember like he'd be like, yo, homie, what's up? Um, and a lot of people who make it in especially Hollywood, but even in on Broadway, it, it takes a lot of money to like get coachings and go to good schools and training and Hollywood. There's, I, there's like, I would encourage people who are listening, like when you're watching TV, Google who these people are, like Google who their parents are. Mm. It's very rare that someone starts with no connections and makes it in uh, Hollywood or especially Hollywood Broadway. There's a, there's a lot of those stories, but, um, yeah. So some, when you see somebody like, uh, like Anthony, it's, it's amazing because there are a lot of not nice people that are Mm. actors and there are a lot of people who are not super talented, but are super connected. They're, aunt was someone famous their parents work in the industry their parents grew up where they're friends with producers or whatever um, so it's amazing to see someone with just raw talent make it and what a story especially for anthony like didn't book in the heights the tour i think it was a non-union tour which is like even lower than um a, a regular broadway tour and then now, like in the Heights, the movie is coming out this summer, and he, and he's the lead. And I am anticipating he's gonna do great. Like he he should have an Oscar nomination. I haven't even seen the movie, but like <laughs> yeah. he should. You're calling it now, dude. But he's unreal, man. That's really cool. I think in hearing you share that, I love I love. Thank you for sharing that. I think that was cool for me to hear as someone who just consumes art and movies and music from people and you can almost dehumanize someone especially when they hit a celebrity status of you only understand them as you see them on screen so it's like oh he's always been famous he's always like that makes sense he's got plenty of money he doesn't have any baggage and that's not true at all and i we you gotta read more tabloids brooke you know all the problems (laughs) that they have Well, I mean, I, I, I prefer my content over podcasts, <laughs> <laughs> but that's so fascinating to me. And I hope yeah. that this podcast does reach that goal of one of my goals is to always, regardless of who we're interviewing and what we're talking about, that we understand that everyone is human and we all are way more similar than different, um, regardless of where you're at on the spectrum of nowhere close to famous or super famous so totally and and just like a word on famous a casting director one time told me that in his experience with people uh fame kind of when people get famous they stop maturing as a general Mm. rule and so a lot of times uh that like fame to to seek it and desire it i mean i heard a stat that like more people want to be uh, celebrity assistants than want to be astronauts or something like that recently. That's like wow. an influencer is like the number one job that kids want to be now. Um, and that's so just a destructive way of thinking. 
another story about Anthony, I, I was able to go to a recording session for his album that he just did. And um, Anthony cleaned up the pizza boxes at the end of the recording studio and like went around and picked it up and like put everything in the trash and said, thank you to everyone. And so I think um, you just miss that when like if fame comes and, and you're able to, to have success in any realm, the, um, that's like great as an after thing, but I think there's definitely, there's no substitute for character. There's no substitute for, mm. uh, you know, happiness. And, and like, if you're not happy now, being famous is not going to make you happy. You know, be, if you're not yeah. a nice person now, being famous is not going to make you a nice <laughs> person, like for sure. Yeah. We got to get Anthony on the podcast. I know. Honestly, hey, I'll see fine. what I can do. Like, He's, I just want to meet him. He sounds like an amazing guy. close to not famous. <laughs> yeah, no, he's point. actually... Honestly, we'll make an exception. <laughs> <laughs> Here at Nowhere Close, we love sharing stories, and so do our friends at Our Spare Change. They're committed to helping you share your story through their handcrafted jewelry. On their website, you can find cuffs, bracelets, bookmarks, tie bars. All of their jewelry is committed to helping you share your story. So do that by going to OurSpareChange.com and using the promo code NOWHEREClose to get 20% off awesome jewelry that will help you share your story. Speaking of celebrities and famous people, one of the things that you've done over the years as part of the acting grind is you have bartended and served at, I feel like, more celebrity events than I can possibly count. So I'm going to list off some some celebrity names, and I want you to just tell us either the first word that comes to mind or like a story that sticks out about these people. Okay. All right. <laughs> And it's a it's a long list. Like there are yeah. some impressive names on this list. I let me. So I I that. sent a list. Y'all are also welcome to ask. These are like I sent a list of like these are people I have stories about. Uh, okay. You can also <laughs> ask not on the list, and I probably have stories about those people. Too. Okay. Well, if these are people that that you actually have have stories about, I I have a lot of questions about <laughs> these people. First off, Jennifer Aniston. Uh, Jennifer Aniston, last time I saw her, held my hand and said, thank you so much, Clayton. That was a big one for me. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's huge. I mean, she's she's America's sweetheart. Yeah. yeah. She's, and you said, you're welcome. <laughs> she's very sweet. She's very kind. I worked an event that she was up till like three in the morning chatting with, um, oh gosh, the guy who wrote uh, Margaritaville. Oh, Jimmy Buffett? Yeah. <laughs> We'll cut that in post. We'll, <laughs> we'll edit that to where you knew him. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. That way when he hears this, he won't be offended. Yeah, he's yeah. like, who's this Clayton kid? I'm coming <laughs> after him. Also a very nice person. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Uh, what about Leonardo DiCaprio? Leonardo DiCaprio gave me a wine bottle opener at oh. an event. He was like a really small fundraiser that he was saving the planet. Everything that I've ever heard about him is he's probably the most environmentally conscious actor out there is that is that true in your experience 
uh, he, he didn't destroy any <laughs> environment that I was uh, near him at. <laughs> Great. So far, one for one. Uh, what about Julia Roberts? I worked a small house party with Julia Roberts, and she was working on her salad, and I said, uh, are you finished with this? And she was like, <laughs> I, I probably should be. And I wanted to be like, no, Julia, it's fine. Like, you look great. You're Just amazing. Just keep eating, whatever. <laughs> so, it's and I was salad. actually telling the chef in the kitchen, I was like, Julia is the one for me. Like, of, if celebrity crushes, like, Julia's my girl. And um, my the, like, person that I was working at the house walked up behind me and was like, what? What are we talking about? And the chef totally covered for me. But I also think she kind of got vibes that, like, I think she could feel feel the love because yeah. she went down. Uh, she drinks, I think, vodka and soda. That's like what all celeb- celebrities drink. <laughs> Mo- most celebrities. And um, she was like, "My husband and I would like uh, vodka and soda." And I was like, oh, "Get it? You're married, Julia. I'm married too, but." You're a pretty woman, okay? <laughs> You're the pretty woman. Give me some mystic pizza. Like, come <laughs> on. What about uh, Emma Stone? Emma Stone, uh, I got her coat once at Kochek, and she was, like, so shy. She was kind of, like, hiding on the corner, like, just, no. like, painfully shy. No. Okay, so I asked about her specifically because she's on the list, and I, from watching her in interviews and stuff, I think she's hilarious, and in my brain, I'm like, we would be friends in real life. She seems so nice and down to earth, and oh, just totally. so funny. She makes me laugh. Her uh, lip sync battle with Jimmy Fallon oh, yes, is yes, one of yes. the greatest things I've ever watched. I think she's the kind of person that like comes alive on screen. Okay, yeah. which I've met that makes sense. a couple of celebrities that I think are kind of like that. Like, they're they're more reserved and less social than you would think. And yeah. it's like, I mean, she's she's a nerdy theater kid in the best way, you know? Yeah. yeah. That's that's what's fascinating to me. One of my favorite podcasts, Josh and I talk about this all the time, is Armchair Expert. And so Dax Shepard just interviews celebrity after celebrity after celebrity. And so many of them talk about things that shock me. And those things are social anxiety. And, man, I grew up a nerd. I was just a theater nerd, didn't have friends, was very niche. And it blows my mind because you watch these insanely successful people that you think, man, they've got friends everywhere they go. And it's like Ed Helms talked about how he played banjo in high school and all this stuff. And it's like, oh, Ed Helms was a total nerd. Right. And, I mean, it worked out well for him. But it, I love how it humanizes people. It, it blows my mind. I think it's so fascinating. Justin Bieber and Ed Sheeran have that duet where one of the lines is that, like, either we don't feel comfortable at this party or we don't belong here and i thought if ed sheeran and justin (laughs) bieber don't fit in at a party then none of us fit in at a party but like it's also one of those things where what you feel versus what everyone else perceives of you i'm sure can be drastically different yeah dax shepherd the armchair expert was a was actually part of our deciding to move to houston from l.a Uh, One of the things he talked about in one of his podcasts was like, yeah, I'm just trying to work so that I can spend more time with my kids. And I was Mm. like, oh, that's why Kristen Bell is like doing like commercials and stuff. And I think it's really healthy to realize like 
the job isn't what does it even for movie stars even for like Dak Shepard he's he's doing things and working so that he can spend time with his kids because mm. that's actually what he loves and wants to do and that's so relatable for like totally parent you know that's that's like what most dads want to do is spend yeah. hopefully spend more time yeah. with their kids and um I think I, that was just really helpful for me of like oh even the people that are doing it and like handpicking what things they want to do yeah they still just want to like spend time with their family um Mm. and it's good to realize that like quote unquote making it is not gonna be enough to fulfill you you know yeah did having a child change that for you a lot oh absolutely yeah um yeah so we have uh, a daughter she's about to turn two so uh yeah something you know having getting married having a kid are not great career moves for uh acting <laughs> and um you heard being, it here first being married is something that a lot of actors have mm. a lot of trouble doing um yeah. and so for me there was never a doubt of like am i good enough or like could i make it um i think if i was willing to do whatever it took like with no moral compass at all I could make it like I could find a way to to Mm. be an actor and be in movies and um I just am not willing to I, I made a decision like putting my life on hold for this thing that maybe will happen and maybe not is not worth it to me. And so that was like an active choice that I made of like I'm gonna get married and that's not a great career move if you want to be an actor but being married is a lot better than being an actor and um having kids is like way better than being an actor and so um you know we we my wife and I she was uh pursuing acting as well we really wanted to give it like a full go a a you know, a real try. We did that for 10 years and we're ready to have kids and that changes your priorities in a huge way, just what you want and what you desire. But I'd always kind of wrestled with like this gnawing question in the back of my head of like, would I be just as happy with like a normal stable job, especially when you're like working gig work, actors that are like trying to make it they're nannying the driving for uber their doorman or security guards or drivers uh and those paychecks are like up and down you're don't have health insurance you don't have like a lot of things that come with with steady jobs and so after 10 years of doing it you're like man a steady income to be able to feed yourself is like really appealing and we were always able to like feed ourselves but um yeah we just um we just weren't willing to not move forward with our lives right to pursue our quote-unquote dream um so um yeah i i think that is um 
something that I, so the, the gnawing question is like, would I be just as happy like doing community theater with my kids or mm. performing mm. like at a regional theater and having a more normal job that, you know, yeah. your parents wouldn't be as worried about? <laughs> <laughs> because at the end of the day, like a love for acting is a love for acting, mm. right? Totally. Yeah. And if you are doing it to get famous, it's even more so not going to, you know, fulfill you. Um, You know, I I had the experience, I remember a lot of times of like serving someone at an event, at dinner or, or making them a drink and thinking like, oh, if my dad was your dad, you would be here and I would be there. Like if, Mm. you know, and, um, that was always helpful for me because it's it's not getting my identity wrapped up in the success of this thing um because there's just so many uh variables that that make it work or not work and uh brooke you know like you were talking about with with john krasinski it's like Mm -hmm. there are literally thousands of stories like that for every single person that you don't know their name and I worked with people catering who were 50, 60 years old who were still trying to make it and still taking classes. And there's, there's something really valuable about that too. And, um, if that's the life choice you want to make, if that's, you know, what you want to be doing, then great. Like more power to you. Um, I wasn't willing to not do these other things that I also wanted in in uh, lieu of pursuing this one major thing. And there are opportunities, like no one can stop you from making music. No one can stop you from painting. No one can stop you from writing. That's actually why I got into writing. Cause as an actor, you like need other people to do your totally. art. Like you can't just <laughs> yeah. act yeah. by yourself. Uh, you could. <laughs> I mean, I guess this is kind of, you know, at a party, I kind of feel like I'm like, you know, telling stories and being the ringmaster, that's like acting by myself. Yeah. But, um, yeah, as an actor, you know, you need like a theater, you need cameras, you need like a team and a group and a script. And, um, but there are ways to do it in like a manageable way. You know, there are ways to like not let other people, there are ways to do it that you don't have to make your entire living pursuing the, that thing, you know? My dad was in the entertainment industry, as you know. And uh, one of the things that was always really fascinating to me is to see the number of people that would walk through his door that were legitimately top 1% in the world when it comes to talent. I mean, just astronomically talented. And no one knows their name. Um, A lot of them. Because one, it's just that hard, right? But two... Another thing that really stuck out to me was there was a, a client of his that wanted to move to Nashville and just pursue the full-on Nashville thing, pursue the whole artist thing. And I remember my dad sitting this whole family down and saying, you guys can absolutely go to Nashville and you can absolutely chase this dream and I support chasing the dream. I just want you to understand what you're walking into because yes, it is amazing. And you have all the talent in the world. And if anyone can make it, you can. However, you're walking into an industry that 
has the potential to destroy everything that you've ever held dear. And about six months after my dad passed away, this girl gave, gave, gave me a call and was like, Josh, it's like your dad predicted the future. Like everything that he said would happen is happening. Mm-hmm. And I just remember hearing this story and it broke my heart of so many people are so obsessed with this dream of I have to make it. I have to, I have to sing. I have to act. I have to do all these things, but at what cost? Right. And it's like, and there's you know, always a cost. There's always a cost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, there's no, like, there's always a cost. And I think that, 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 that is the thing that to be completely honest, I think is one of the things that we love to celebrate in this podcast mm. is the fact that there's something beautiful and glorious about being ordinary <laughs> <laughs> about no one knowing your name and you get to like you know the fact that you want to be a husband and a father doesn't diminish your talent and your ability but you saying I want to be a husband and a father means that you get to do those things because those have a higher priority than I'm so obsessed with taking my talent to the next level that I have to make it and achieve some sort of status. And, and I think that that's a really beautiful thing because your daughter's going to know your name and she's going to know that your that her dad was there for her. Mm. And like, that's not so- something that every actor can say, you know? Totally. All right, bro. A couple more questions for you. Um, really quick, just what's happening with you now? You, you had a really incredible short film that you wrote uh, and start in what like a year ago, and then this thing called COVID hit and kind of ruined COVID, all the festivals. What's that? I haven't heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what's the li- what's the latest on Claude? So Claude did pretty well at the festivals. the The main point of festivals is networking and meeting people. So that didn't really happen <laughs> uh, at all. That's such a bummer. So. Um, I have a feature film. Claude was kind of a proof of concept for a feature film uh, that uh, I wrote. And we are kind of fine tuning that script and potentially looking to produce it. Some, what I'm really interested in is kind of the low budget indie world. Those are the films that I like the most. Um, I think we're living in a time where it's never been more accessible to make your own stuff whatever avenue that is uh again on the podcast the last podcast she was like because of the internet i can be a painter you know because of etsy or um you know with music and uh films like our iphones have better cameras than i think the first avengers our iPhones are like better cameras no than what the first Avengers were shot on. I mean, the, the technology is like astronomically opened the doors to, to make things. And obviously like our iPhones are better cameras than the wizard of Oz was shot on. And that <laughs> has stood the test of time. So, yeah, you know, if something is good, uh, it'll, it'll cut through also like, um, yeah. So, so we are, fine-tuning that script, waiting for this thing uh, called COVID to be over and done Mm. with, and then potentially going to try to raise money to produce that and and self-produce that uh, as like a low-budget 
uh, feature film. So if you know anybody who has a hundred thousand to a million dollars that they don't need, uh, hit or me that up. we or that we wouldn't take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that you guys would pass on. Um, so um, yeah, so there's there's like a big that was so I've kind of. Um, just organize my life in a way that like my job is flexible and so I can uh if I do have an opportunity to do an acting job I don't have to ask my boss or take a vacation day or um that also means like I don't get paid vacation and <laughs> things and healthcare benefits and things like that um so um there are always costs like we yeah. said but uh, yeah so so I've kind of transitioned we just moved from LA in December to Texas and um I'm in a place where I'm able to write on a daily basis and uh hopefully when COVID is done we'll be able to kind of pitch and get to know people and make the feature version of Claude um ourselves and not have to ask anybody for permission to uh make something so i also uh have some other feature films i wrote a horror musical based on my experience at circle in the square theater it's kind of like a retelling of Macbeth in a way and uh i have a rom-com that i wrote about a young couple who try to marry two old people at a nursing home and steal their money like they're trying to cut the line and like retire early and um i would watch that it's a great script i've actually read it it's awesome so um yeah you know i'm i'm in a place where i'm writing and getting to know filmmakers in texas and i have some great connections with directors and um musicians and uh just great friends that would also be up for making movies and so hopefully we'll continue to make movies out of texas dude if you want me to uh dust off the old boots and acoustic guitar man i can uh throw some free songs your way bro heck yeah <laughs> i think i've seen background <laughs> vocals in one of the josh you story do. albums yeah no way clayton uh so the very first single that i released to radio or actually the one that i bugged radio program directors until one of them <laughs> played me. I remember uh, you telling me that story. Yeah. I, uh, when we were recording that in the studio, Clayton just happened to be in town and he was there hanging out. And my dad was in the studio was like, we need some harmony vocals. Clayton, hop in the studio and record some harmonies. And, uh, and you just went in cold and just nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> la, la, la. Yeah. Just yeah. nailed it. <laughs> All that, uh, friends in low places paid off you know what I mean oh, this is, it was I the do. moment I was born for yeah <laughs> there's a moment you know th there's a moment you were born and then the moment you know why that was mine and that was it what's that quote there's like a cheesy quote about that you know <laughs> I have no idea I kind of feel like we're living that moment now yeah so personally <laughs> um all right can we ask you a couple fun random questions absolutely okay first up do you have any oddly specific, that's our favorite way to phrase it. Do you have any oddly specific love languages? Uh, well, I think I mentioned it early, uh, earlier, never saying that I have a bad idea is like <laughs> the best way that you can love me. 
I also am a sugar cookie uh, fanatic. That was another uh-huh. love language. He's and such I think a loyal listener. Yeah, funny, what a fan, man. Yeah. Like, if you just laugh at what I'm saying, then I will like you. Like, <laughs> that, okay. If you think I'm funny, we'll hang out. That's one of mine. So we're going to get along swimmingly. <laughs> that is so mine. Um, what's your like go-to party story? You're at a party. There's a little conversation. How do you get people engaged? So working in events, uh, I have a lot of celebrity stories. Yeah. And uh, so I have a lot. I have a lot from college. I, yeah. Kali, there's so many. You've got like, good material. What's that? You've got good material. Like you're I've not got good material. That's kind of my sweet of spot. I, t- I have yeah. a story about like my best friend growing up when she like slaughtered a pig and I was there that I tell a lot. I was a bedwetter until like <laughs> until like senior year of high school. And, no, that's um, not real. So I've got a story for that. I I wet the bed that's probably the one i tell the most and <laughs> that's your go-to you've met that's jennifer aniston and you like when i said is your go-to i don't mind story. like being laughed at or with i was serious <laughs> like you can laugh okay, see i don't i don't love it as me. much as you then <laughs> so in sixth grade i was at a at a birthday party with like all these my bet you know like 10 guys yeah. 10 sixth graders and I was never allowed to play video games growing up. Not allowed, but my parents didn't buy video games. And so I was never good at video games. Right. And so when we'd go like to birthday parties and stuff, all the guys were like, great. Nobody wanted me on their team because I was horrible. <laughs> so I was like left out of the video game thing that was going on. So my friend had a king size bed and I fell asleep in the bed and they were playing video games. Well, after I fell asleep, everybody just got in the king size bed. So there's like seven or eight people just around me because I was the first one to sleep in the bed in the middle too I bet in the middle and I wake up (laughs) in sixth grade and I had wet the bed with six six, (laughs) like six or eight sixth grade boys that were like my best friends and so I'm freaking out I'm like we're gonna have to move like you you don't go to (laughs) school yeah. My dad grew up in this town. Like <laughs> we're going to have to move. Yeah. We you you yeah. don't come back from that. And so I wake up and I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? So I run downstairs. There were 3 liter bottles of cola and yeah. Sprite. I grab the cola and like run upstairs. <laughs> and while these guys are sleeping, I'm dumping soda all over the bed. I like throw the bottles over, climb in the middle of the bed, and then just start like rolling around and waking people up. And they're like, oh, who, who fell asleep with the soda in bed? This is, oh, I'm all wet. This is, oh, what happened? So we like dry it off and works. spend the night in the trampoline. And I never got caught wetting the bed in sixth grade. And now, you've and been now caught. everyone knows. Yeah. So. <laughs> This is going to reach a lot of people. (laughs) I don't know to be impressed or scared that you came up with that (laughs) maniacal plan to cover your tracks. That's life or death. Like, (laughs) I don't know, at sixth grade, like, if you don't think of that, you're not even trying at that point. Like, you you deserve to be bullied. Like, (laughs) (laughs) those were high stakes. I'm kidding. No one deserves to be bullied. We are an (laughs) anti-bullying podcast. 
Thank you for clarifying. Appreciate that. No <laughs> one's trying to get canceled here. Now from our sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last question. As you know, this podcast is called Nowhere Close to Famous. However, if you could be famous for one thing, what would it be? Oh, I mean, I, I'd be a famous actor, you know. Of course. Come on. I practiced my Oscar speech way too many times in the shower to like. Who do you think? Oh, actually, (laughs) my, so I had a horrible professor. My very last professor in college was horrible and she failed me in my last class, which was like this makeup class. We were supposed to take it on study abroad. They forgot, so we had to take this like blow off makeup class. It was the last thing, and I I turned my project in and left. And after I left, she was like, um, "There's too many people here. You have to mail me. You have to email me your final project." Well, I had gone, and she was like, "And yeah. if you don't email me your project, then you fail." So I'd already turned mine in and left. And like, you're not allowed to do that because it has to be in the syllabus, anyways. Like college professors can't just change the requirements. So I like right before graduation got this notification that like, sorry, you're not going to graduate. And I like freaked out, called the Dean, the professor got in trouble and it worked out, but like, I didn't get my diploma when I walked across the stage. I just got like an empty holder and I was just (laughs) so mad. So I used to be like, I'm going to not thank her. I'm going to like call out that professor and be like, (laughs) which now saying it out loud seems really, really petty. Yeah. Don't do that. When you win Oscar for like best director, like when Claude takes off and does well, don't do that. I, I won't. I I'm mean, gonna I thank know you, Brooke. I'm gonna say yeah. thank you, Brooke, for uh, not letting me tell that awful story about my least we'll favorite know. college professor. And for me, that'll be enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, thank you so much, man. This There's is honestly a blast. so many things that we could have talked about, and I'm even thinking now, like another fun thing that the three of us all have in common is we all love stand-up and we've all at different points in life tried to write our own bits yep so honestly we should just schedule another call and we'll just here's an idea material the three of us do a stand-up show and we hold each other accountable we put it on (laughs) the podcast dibs on going dibs on going middle so one of you can hype me up and one of you can help me recover (laughs) done we're gonna do it we can help each other on our material I love that. Brooke, this is how it goes. Like, yeah. we throw out ideas, like, we and roll with yes. it. And I say yes. And I say yes. A group message yes. is brewing. That's <laughs> the type we of just wow. just best friends? It just happened. You heard it here. <laughs> uh, That's I, awesome. And I knew we would. I'm so excited. <laughs> All right. Well, then, part two is coming soon. Oh, there we go. Yes. Clayton, I love you, dude. Thanks for stopping by, man. Yes. Thanks so much for having me. Well, we hope that you enjoyed our conversation with Clayton Jones. And if you did, we have many more coming your way just like that. So make sure that you hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're at it, feel free to throw a rate or a review our way. And if you're not too busy, maybe you find yourself scrolling on Instagram when this podcast shuts off. Give us a follow on Instagram and keep up with us to make sure you don't miss any details related to Nowhere Close. So you can follow us at Nowhere Close to Famous Pod. Absolutely. And as always, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Love y'all. Stay ordinary.